As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is a podcast from The Times, sports newspaper of the year. Welcome to The Game, the podcast that never kicks the ball out of play when one of the pundits is down, because we like to let the referee make that decision and stop playing. And this week, those pundits are Rory K. Smith, Peter Lansley, and of course, our very own qualified referee, Alison Rudd. Over the next 40 minutes, we're going to break down the weekend's action and debate which sides are now stronger, thanks to the transfer window. And I suspect somebody will make some cheap jibes about Peter Odenvingi as well. But let's start at the Etihad. Alison, City and Liverpool. Um, I think our boss, Tony Evans, tweeted that this was uh, Liverpool's best performance of the season. Uh, and since he's our boss, he's correct, right? <laughs> it must be true. Um, yeah, I mean, Liverpool looked, looked, looked pretty good. Um, I, I, I'm not sure about two, two twos away from home on the trot. Kind of smells a little bit of being able to see a game out. Um, but... What I've seen, Liverpool. The eighties are over, Allison. Okay, <laughs> you know, like Hanson's gone, Kenny's gone. Oh, well, that, well, you've put your finger on it, haven't you? I mean, that 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 a two-two draw at, at Man City is 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 deemed to be the best performance Liverpool have put in under Rodgers. I don't, I don't think it's worth really letting off fireworks over. I thought it was it was good and it was adequate. I'd, I'd, it didn't take my breath away, really. Peter, they went away from home. They outplayed. The, the champions, uh, still the champions of England for the time being. Um, did you think it was a good Liverpool? Did you think it's some kind of harbinger of days to come? I thought it was a, a good result for the day and for the, the time Liverpool are in at the moment. I don't think this uh, suggests they're about to um, crush, crash their way into the top four anytime soon, but they had a good day. And, you know, fantastic goal by Gerrard. Looked like Sturridge is, re- Sturridge is really getting on the shoulder of the last defender, which is, you know, taking the pressure off Suarez. So it's it's an improvement, but I don't think they're I don't think they're top six by any means yet. Uh, look, I don't think it's, it's ever a bad result to draw away from home. No, we're talking about uh, result performance. Yeah, no, to draw. I don't think it's ever a bad result to draw away from home at the Champions, and I don't think it's it's ever a bad thing to play like that. I think that was a, it but, was an encouraging display for Liverpool. I think what's more interesting is what it says about City. Well, before we get to City, though. And this won't be the Times podcast. We're obsessed about Liverpool. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I have to make the point. If this was the, I'm just interesting. Is what is it? Does it say anything? Is there a broader message? If this was the best performance with Henderson and Downing out on the wings, and with Luis Suarez not having a particularly good game by his standards. Yeah, I thought Suarez, I don't know, I thought Suarez by his standards was quite poor. It, it looked like his touch wasn't quite right. Every player has a day like that. But no, Liverpool generally, I thought were the, the, that system looks like it's working and they've because 
it was a more experienced side because Sterling, for all his promise, wasn't in there because just wisdom wasn't in there. Who I think is going to be a great player as well. They looked more trying to put together more more solid, more organised. It's it, they looked a better side. And I, I think, funnily enough, I don't think they're ready for the Champions League. I think they could finish in the top six. All right, so Rory said there's no more talking about Liverpool because City is more interesting to talk about. So um, uh, let's talk City. And, and let's start with the the incident, which seemed to annoy Mancini. Um, Agger on Dzeko. I If it was a foul, it wasn't It wasn't called. The ball goes up the pitch. Dzeko stays down. They don't put the ball out of play. And Sturridge scores. Now, we know the drill. As I said, that it's down to the referee to put the ball out of play. I'm just wondering... As a player, um, if they think that Jekyll might be hurt, might need serious attention... Who? If who thinks this? The, Liver- the, the, the Liverpool Really? Players. You think they're thinking that? You think they're, they've got a chance for a break and they're, they're all thinking, oh, I wonder I wonder if that was a foul and I wonder if that nice bloke Jekyll got yep. hurt on the ankle. Of course they don't think like that. I never, Honestly, I have no idea why this is even a debate. It's ridiculous. Mancini said so, that's why. Well, he's just plucking excuses out of the air because I thought City were really, really poor and sort of operating at sort of 58% for some reason. City, of course, haven't won a game since uh, Mario Balotelli left, but... Um, Lansley, the players do put the ball out of play of their own accord when if they think somebody's actually genuinely injured and not just making a meal of it, right? There's nothing wrong with that. Am I wrong? Um, well, the, the laws of the game, if you go by the, the exact laws, and I went into FIFA rule book it's in law five there, as you said earlier, that it's up to the discretion of the referee if he does not consider a player is seriously injured to allow play to go on. We were watching match today morning and my son Joe said, that's it, the Corinthian spirit of football has been killed yesterday. I think Peter needs to encourage his son Joe to stop reading the Daily Mail, doesn't he? If, if he's complaining about the Corinthian spirit of the game being dead. <laughs> we yeah. banned it from the house, Roy, don't worry. cynicism, Roy? Like, I agree with Alison, it's complete nonsense. Tony's, Tony Evans, our boss and glorious leader, has written it in his, in his column today, and he's quite right. The rule should be clarified. Whatever, whatever, however clear it is, it obviously isn't clear enough. It should just say that you play on unless someone's head has fallen off. It's ridiculous. Maybe not falling off. Maybe serious head injuries, serious injuries. Jetto wasn't hurt, but even if he had been, you know, slightly hurt, even if he, he torn a tendon yeah, or whatever, it's, he, he obviously wasn't dying. So there's no point stopping the game. I, 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 you just I, play on. I fully agree with it with, with his point on, on Jetto. Actually, that is clearly not the kind of injury yeah. where he needs immediate medical attention or something bad is going to happen. And broadly speaking, I don't know that I'm entirely comfortable with one man who's not a physician and who's looking after 22 other people to decide. Whether whether somebody needs immediate medical attention because, God forbid, we've had situations happen in the past. And if we make it a rule that only the referee can do this, then I, you know, I, I think you could have some pretty bad things happening because you might be looking in a different direction and whatnot. Um, that said, what I find interesting, though, and what really annoys me is when, when you sort of take it to the next level. Let's say Liverpool had put the ball out of play um, and then City hadn't given it back. That, I think, is, is a whole other um, sort of ethical level um, and calls to mind all sorts of Corinthian values and lack thereof. But maybe that's a discussion. But can we just clarify that, that the injury Jekko suffered was a fit of peak? You do not kick the ball out for that. Well, that's the danger, isn't it? That's the, the problem is that 
you get this sort of gradation of injury that certain things are acceptable and certain things aren't. And like, if you say that, so players have to be ser- have to have suffered serious head injuries for the ball for the play to be stopped. Did you then get loads of players like lying perfectly still on the floor to to trip <laughs> the other team into doing it? You just just With play on. I <laughs> can imagine one person here who would see that as part of the game. It is part the, of the game, you know exactly. Um, but you just play on. Ignore, the, 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 yeah, in this instance, you just the game has to flow as much as possible. Uh, Lance, um, I want to get to, to get you on this because um, Liverpool haven't had the best luck with with goalkeepers. You know, Donny, of course, has had a, you know a major physical problem, um, quite a serious one. But, uh, Brad Jones has played very badly, and. Pepperena um, really hasn't covered himself in glory either, and I think uh, again he was at fault. Now it's up to you whether you want to celebrate Aguero's brilliance and finishing from that angle. I seem to recall Mark Hughes scoring in a similar manner for Manchester United, and that shows you how old I am. Um, or you can ask what Reyna was thinking and how bad were the communication between him and uh, and, and, and and Skirtle was. Um, well, I think, first of all, you, I, I'd celebrate Aguero's vision and his technique to be able to put it in from there. I thought that was a fantastic goal. And, and for someone to shoot from there was pretty unlikely and, and daring and deserves applaud, uh, you know, applauding. But, um, yeah, the communication was dodgy, wasn't it? As much as it was when um, Joe Hart and um, Zabaleta came out and neither of them went for it and Sturridge almost got in. If he'd scored, I think we would have been having a go at Joe Hart there. Communication was poor. What is Rayner doing out there? I don't think he actually needed to go for that. Today. So yeah, Liverpool's goalkeeping, broadening it out, doesn't look in its healthiest place at the moment, does it? And it and it does make me wonder why they didn't push harder for Jack Butland, who, if Rayner does move, I mean, Jack Butland can be competing with Rayner now. In, in terms of ability, is and he really that good, Peter? Peter you, you, you would have seen more more of him than than, than I have certainly because I've never actually seen the guy um, except for in street clothes on television um, because of the club he plays for. Uh, is, is, I mean, are you really in a position to, to say that you know Butland at this age is is ready? You know, he's that precocious. That I didn't say could, that. Yeah, I didn't say that, Gab. I said I think in terms of ability. He can be competing with a Liverpool goalkeeper who is on the wane now. In terms of whether he's ready for the stage of it, although he did very well in the Olympics, but that was only you know for a few weeks. Um, whether he's ready in terms of temperament and everything, you can't know until he's tried it, can you? But certainly he's so level-headed. The few times I've seen him, he's been excellent. Everyone about, you know, if you talk to goalkeeping coaches for the England N21s or Birmingham, real feet-on-the-ground type of individual. My mum knows his mum, and he's a really good lad, apparently, all that sort of thing. Um, it's a big ask to ask him to go in and be Liverpool's number one and force their way next season into the, into the top six. But I'm amazed they didn't get him in and run them alongside each other for a year. Um, we said we'd wrap up Liverpool. We haven't because it seems to keep creeping back in. But I want um, just a, a word on him. Mancini. You know, says that the title's not over, but it's extremely difficult. They have to win a bazillion games and so on. If Oli K were here, he would no doubt remind us about uh, last season's stunning comeback and all the ground they made up with uh, just a handful of games to go. Um, personally, I think United are probably better this year than last year and still aren't playing at at their max um, so I'm not so sure but 
Uh, Rory, your take. Are, are United better than last, year, than last year and are City better than last year? United are because they've got Van Persie. I still, I still don't think this is obviously kind of what everyone says. I don't think United are a, are a particularly great side by their standards. But they can be, right? Well, they, they can hit it. They've got, they've got two or three match winners and that's a real difference. I don't, I don't think they're a complete team by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but I think they are better than last year. I think with the fixtures remaining, I can't see them dropping the 11 points they'd have to to... To allow allow City to, to catch them because I can't see City winning all. Mancini said yesterday that they need to win all the remaining games. Can't see City doing that. They just they're, something is lacking with with Man City at the moment. They look like they are not quite the sum of their parts. But why, why, Rory? Do you not think like last season at this stage we were saying something similar, and then United had these series of blips? Why do you not think? United are not going to have those series well, of blips. You'd assume that they'd, they'd learned from last year to an extent, and also they just look this season more like they're, they're able to avoid dropping those points. Those, I, I, I funny if I thought they might drop points at Fulham, and they came relatively close to dropping points. They've at nearly Fulham. dropped points almost every match, and they've but seen then, it through. But then at the same, exactly at the same time, you can look at that two ways, can't you? You can either say they've nearly dropped points, so will their will their luck run out, or they almost always do it, but they always get away with it, so maybe their luck won't run out. Let's move on to Newcastle, or uh, Neuf Chateau, as uh, um, George Calkin likes to call it. A bad result midweek, then they, Chelsea come into town. It's like, well, hey, chance to get three points. And they do. Now, obviously, the focus is going to shift on uh, a, a new, and it is a collective you to Alison Aurora, your mate Benitez. I, Chelsea didn't play that badly, did they, Alison? That they really kind of unlucky to lose this game, and is you know the same way Rafa was unlucky to lose to Swansea when when Ivanovic made those mistakes and so on. That, uh, well, that, that's the point. They they are still playing really very attractive football, and the goals they're scoring are gorgeous. And when it clicks, they look like potential champions. But they are completely incapable at the moment of seeing a game out. Uh, and I think Benitez hinted at that when he talked about lack of maturity, even though he was, in fact, playing some of his more mature players who've done it in the past. They've they've known how to take the lead and see it out. But I saw them at Reading, where they were in so much in control of that match. And, and, pl- and then the second half, the first half was a bit of a non-entity, but the second half they were playing really nice football. They don't. They don't seem to think at any point. Right now, we will stop playing the nice football. We will just just calm it down a bit. They they allow teams into into the game. Their, their shape suddenly looks terribly porous. Playing two holding midfield players sometimes just means all you have is a two man midfield because the three behind the striker don't defend very well. These and, are tactical points you're making. No, I thought, but, I thought um, he was he was master tactician. I mean, well, the, 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 and that, the, I, I think that that is the yes, he is. He, well, that's what he builds himself as, and that's the weird thing. They under Benitez, they have not, they do not seem able right. to capitalise on taking the lead, and, and in a beautiful way. It's never fluky; it's always gorgeous. But they don't see it out. Lanze, um, again, I presume you're neutral here, since you're going to tell me that Chelsea were your third favourite team in the 1970s. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> Isn't this a kind of there's just a bit that doesn't quite add up to me? Is that Benitez's unique selling point is actually the ability to um, to go and see out games. It's the ability to, uh, to 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 get have this multiplier effect with his players tactically. Um, and now it seems that I mean yesterday there was this huge space in midfield. It seemed that every time Chelsea lost the ball, there was a, there was a freaking highway. Um, and I mean, part of it is obviously Lampard's not young anymore, and Mikel is away, and they can't rotate, and they're all tired, and whatever else. But 
Is this the kind of thing he was supposed to work on? I know. I was trying to. I, I just saw that enormous gap. I agree with you. And it was like Ramirez was just preparing for the whole avalanche to come over him. And um, I think because Lampard's natural game, even despite his advancing years, is to push on behind the strikers, and he makes his great runs, and he's scoring every game at the moment. That does leave them undermanned. I think that's why in certain games, especially away from home, they've, they're bringing Ryan Bertrand in as one of the three, you know, attacking midfielders, saying, "Oh, okay, he's a left." Back, therefore he'll do some of the defending but I don't think it ends up working that way um, so I think that is slightly flawed much as I am a massive Lampard fan um, Cahill and Terry lack, they don't have great pace do they tell me if I'm wrong on Cahill but I don't think he's a, he's a pace man therefore I think they defend very deep and therefore I think you have an enormous space in which you're asking Ramirez to patrol things so tactically uh, Rafa if you could just have a look at that please uh, Roy, I believe you own Rafa Benitez's book, so you've got some insight. I, I mean, we've been saying all along that this, or at least I was saying in the summer, this was a badly assorted and badly put together group of players, um, and that applied to to Di Matteo, and it applies to Benitez. So, is it just a simple thing that it's just unfair to to, to, to blame Benitez, and he can't that he's actually doing worse than than, than, than Di Matteo because the, the players aren't well put together? Well, I think if you looked at their records, the, the, Rafa's had 13 games and got 22 points, and Di Matteo had 12 games and got 24 points. So you, you could, I saw that on, on Twitter on, on Saturday, I think it's sort of saying, oh, Di Matteo's better than Benitez. It's, that's not exactly a kind of a fair sample. And it's, it's very, let's say that their records are very similar. This, this season in the league that Di Matteo Benitez is performing no better than Di Matteo slightly worse but probably stati- statistically that's not a massive difference I think the first thing that should be said is that Rafa should be doing better I think Rafa w- would be annoyed with himself that he's been unable to sort out the defensive problems because that's the first thing that he'll have wanted to do and I think when he went in he identified that as being the main issue um, he's not done that and that is a failing on his part but what I would say for Chelsea as a whole is that that squad has the hallmarks of nine different managers plus Abramovich plus Emanalo plus Frank Arneson all these players signed by different people Are you blaming Claudio Ranieri here? No, I'm, no, I'm, not, I'm, not, bl- I'm not blaming Ranieri I'm saying if you look at that squad it's been put together in a sort of patchwork way by the, so many different managers that there's no cohesive idea Luca to Luca Vialli gave John Terry his uh, debut, you know that. Maybe you can. All right, ten. There you go. Ten managers <laughs> have had an influence in that. Well, I'm not, not blaming any of them individually. I'm blaming the club as a whole. But this is generally what happens at football clubs. Managers change over time. Yeah, but not they, that many who then have su- such different ideas right. of how to build a team that is supported by an owner who can afford to indulge them. So you've got all these different ideas. And you look at the squad, and they've got kind of they've got all those great little playmakers, but they don't have a single proper central midfielder. Lampard kind of bombs on. He's done well, Lampard. He's adapted better than I thought. Mikel, thanks you for for your support. <laughs> he's, he's all right, Mikel. He's not brilliant. He's okay, but you, you don't have kind of a controlling midfield general that most teams need. Oh, I guess the difference is. A, I'm, well, these, all, Gab, all I'm these, agreeing with you. It's a poorly put together squad. All these imperfect Chelsea squads, right? Um, poorly sorted, poorly put together flip side of that is I think every single Chelsea manager since Jose Mourinho has actually delivered silverware except for Villas Boas and Scolari who were sacked and you know sort of halfway through the season um, and I guess Avram Grant didn't but he came about as close as you could possibly come that's not good is it Rory? How do you mean? Hang on what's the point you're making? Well the point I'm making is Rafa Benitez is given a six months contract. Mm. As, as I understand it, it was a case of 
this is your time to convince us that we need to keep you as a manager rather than the other way around, and, you know, the, rather than you know, the normal situation where if you do badly, you're gone. Um, is he any closer to doing that at this stage, or will Chelsea definitely, do you think, be looking, or are, are Chelsea looking for a new manager right now? As it stands, I don't think Benitez is in with a chance of getting the job long term but I don't think his job was primarily about winning a trophy he could win. He could have won the Carlin Cup or whatever it's called the Capital One Cup or the FA Cup and that wouldn't as we saw last year that wouldn't have advanced his cause of winning something I think Benitez's appointment from a Chelsea point of view was about saying you are a man who has a proven track record of getting the best out of Fernando Torres if you cannot get the best out of Fernando Torres then we will cash in our chips on Fernando Torres that's what I think that appointment was about I don't know if you can quite cash in those chips. You might just have to give the chips Yeah, back give the chips away to Atletico <laughs> Madrid in exchange for Falcao. But no, I think as it stands, Benitez is right. not advancing his case to get the job long term. No. Um, I saw, let's talk Newcastle. I, inevitably, you know, we can joke about the French thing and whatever. I, I just look at it. I don't really see players' nationalities. I just see, like, they got really good players. If Musa Sissoko stays, stays fit, he's an absolute monster. And, and I think, you know, we've seen that. Um, Yang Mbiwa was one of, the, one of the best defenders, I think, in Europe last season. Um, Debussy as well was a guy everybody wanted. Now, Alison, help me here. Because with this image, Graham Carr's this brilliant scout. But you know what? Like, you could be... I think any old schmo who pays even a tiny bit of attention to what happens in other countries um, would have been familiar with these players. In fact, anybody who plays football manager would be familiar. You know, these guys play for big teams and big leagues. So most of these guys are internationals. It's not really a secret. Where Newcastle have what they've done is remarkable is they've managed to sign these people without spending much money. Um, and often in cases where I know AC Milan went after Young and Biwa in, in the summer and they were quoted substantially more than Newcastle signed them for. Um, are they just incredibly clever? And, and, and I mean, what's the... Is, is that the what's the secret here? Well, I, I don't know if there's a secret. I mean, Pardew said he'd been tracking them for longer than the current transfer window for 18 months or something, or at least he had with Cissé. So maybe... maybe the players, I, I, I don't, I, I, you're right. That we, we we tend to lump them together because they're all French, playing in the French league, and they, they must all think the same way. I mean, on an individual level, one hopes they all had their separate reasons for going to the northeast of England. But it, part of it is, I think, that Pardew is very good at the the schmooze about saying how much he admires them, and he's. He didn't just suddenly do it on the back of his scout saying, look at these players. It's been in their mind for a while. And if that's true, they will have been flattered to have been taken seriously by a Premier League club rather than being seen as a panic buy. Right. What what I'm curious about is we kind of assume that sort of football players are a a commodity, right? So, like, if I want to buy, you know, a a centre half um, or I want to buy a a tonne of steel or whatever, VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Whatever, and there'll be a very fixed cost. Or in your case, actually, come from coal background, I believe, right? So like, it's all the, you know... But in reality, what I find remarkable is that there are good negotiators or 
people who know their way around who can get the same player at a much better price than a different player. Isn't that the case? Yeah, I think there are. There are I mean, in, in Yonder and Bewa's case, and you'll, you'll know more than me, I, I guess the price came down as Montpellier were out of the Champions League. I would have thought that would be why he was tossed less in January than Milan were quoted in the summer. Yeah, but, but there are definitely... There, there is... There is I, I agree with you completely. I don't think this this idea that Graham Carr is this sort of wondrous scout who's unearthing all these hidden gems. Yandere and B were played for the French for the French champions. Debussy was the right back for the for the French champions from 2011. Yeah. Um, they signed Johan Kabay and Kabay was treated as though he was some sort of unheard of like third division player. He was captain of the French champions when they signed him. The fact that they knew he had a 5.5 million pound release clause is, uh, I guess, is general knowledge in football. I would have thought. It was general knowledge. Yeah. Completely general. So it's, this isn't great. Stouting. This is owning ESPN. The, <laughs> the, the I mean, Haidara is the only one I've, I've never I've never seen Haidara play. So I don't know, I don't know what he's like. Musa Sissoko was quite high profile. Debussy, as I say, Sisse was the second leading scorer in the Bundesliga when they signed him. This isn't great scouting. What it is is good negotiating to get them for good prices. So whoever's well, doing why don't that, clubs do this. Boy. Maybe maybe the French contingent were just simply impressed with a manager who has an eight-year contract. Maybe that's it. All right, moving on in our in our debate, we're going to talk about um, the, the transfer window. Right, I want to start with you. There's this, this thing that people always talk about, like, well, there's no value in the January transfer window. Can you just explain the economics of that? Because, yes, I understand the point that, um, you know, some clubs might panic buy and overspend in January. But by the same token, you might also have clubs in January who are desperate to get rid of certain people because they might be relegated at the end of the season or, or, or you know, they might be in certain situations where the player will be worth less than them at the end of the season and um, players in certain contractual situations. So is it just one of those truisms, it's just kind of one of those stupid things that people say? Yes. Okay. Yeah, no, I think, I, think, I think the idea that there's no value in January is linked to teams who are either going for titles or trying to avoid relegation or trying to get in the Champions League. They have to, if they want to strengthen their squad, they may have to pay a premium to get their, their initial targets. But if you look around, there's, there's loads of value in January. There's, um, we'll, um, we'll come on to the examples soon enough, I guess. But there's, there's, like you say, there's players who are out of contact in the summer, whose clubs want to cash in, like Lewis Holtby. There's, there's players who, who are no longer in the Champions League, like Yandere and Biwa, whose prices come down. There's there's players who are unhappy at the clubs because they're not playing like Kirby Emanuelson at Fulham. There's there's loads of value if you stout, and this links back to what we talked about with Newcastle, that it, it all comes down to, to knowing your market, knowing who's around for what money, and negotiating well. This idea that there's no value in January, to me, is complete nonsense. Alison? Oh, well, I would, what I'd like to do is offer a vignette of what I think sums up the January transfer window. And this is, this is obviously, because I was at West Ham on, on Saturday, so I've had, I had more Did time to think David about Sullivan it. Did you see David Sullivan get threatened uh, by, by agents and stuff, the way he, the way he wrote in, his, uh, in his, his article about how... Well, he's always being threatened by somebody. He's clothed. He's physically anything. threatened, apparently. No, I didn't see him physically threatened. I, I would have thought a guy like that might have had, you know, bodyguard, people around him. I didn't leave the house very much, but... Okay, just me. Yeah, no, but but because because what I'm going to say is is going to sound a touch girly, I think. But I think <laughs> I do believe in January, it's about the perception of of what you've done in the window as opposed to what you've actually done. And West Ham, I don't think their signings are astonishing. I'm not a fan of Joe Cole, but it's it's a it's a signing that went down. West Ham signed uh, Shamak Cole Pog- Pogatets, and now. 
uh, Allardyce can stand there and say, I've got a great bench at last. Again, I've got a great bench. I'm not, I'm not you know, shuffling around, struggling for players. Everyone feels their positions are up, up for grabs. Everyone's trying that little bit harder. And the feeling at the club is one of, we've come out of January brilliantly. We're, we're, we're back, in, back in it now. And they were playing Swansea, who were considered a highly overachieving team and yet I feel the January window has probably knocked them for six and I, I worry about them now because um, they when everyone was saying oh you know they're, they're relying on Michu for goals and he dipped a bit Danny Graham suddenly everyone was saying they don't, they don't need Danny Graham but he stepped up and suddenly looked like a really good person to have wait, waiting to come in and get goals he did it and now they've come out the window they've lost Danny Graham Michu uh, looked look really knackered against West Ham and suddenly they look like a team because, because of the January window they look like they just don't have enough to see through their very astonishingly good start to the season uh, Lanzi, uh, one of the uh, most remarkable uh, transfers, or non-trans, I should say, the one that kept everybody riveted on transfer deadline day, which I actually thought it kept everybody riveted because nothing really happened of note on the last day of the transfer window, um, but was was Peter Odenvingi's, um move. Can you just, or, or non-move, I should say, can you just tell us what happened and what the background to it is? Um, well, Odenving has been unsettled for quite a while. Would have um, would have moved, given a choice, uh, twelve months ago. Um, there's been nibbles from Wigan, from Newcastle, from Fulham, going abroad. Um, I think he feels like you know he's, he's this. He's the other side of thirty. He's the dark side of thirty now, and um, wants to you know get one big last move. He's had quite a, a sort of itinerant career, um, and perhaps West Brom he senses have, have gone as high as they can. Um, when it came to, um, he hasn't had a great season either. I think he scored four goals. He's not wholly happy playing as a wide striker. But there's no argument with that. Lukaku and Long have been brilliant. So when he got, he's also taken on a new agent, and I think that takes his count of agents to about 37. <laughs> last time we checked, he was given lots of contrary advice. I'm led to believe that he was told, you know, there were great pots of gold at the end of the rainbow that is the gates at Loftus Road. So when he heard on having, you know, all the Twitter stuff um, 10 days ago saying, you know, my loyalty has been sacrificed here. I've been I've been sold a pup and I've been told falsehoods. You know, it really sort of took things to the edge. Um, then when he managed to force West, West Brom, I heard um, we're going to either sell him in the summer or give him a cracking new contract. That was what they told him. That was the deal. Um, whether he liked that or not, it was time to lump it. But then when it came closer to the transfer window and he was increasingly unhappy, he, he had a new baby as well a couple of weeks ago and I think he's got very emotional, um, which you can understand, but he's acted unprofessionally. Told last Thursday morning that there was a price in place that if QPR met, he could leave. He decided, I'd better get myself down there or he and his agents decided that. Um, now, the deal, I understand, was three and a half million plus uh, Junior Hoylet comes from QPR on loan for the rest of the season. When he got down there, QPR were agreeing to pay that fee, but Junior Hoylet, for some reason, didn't want to relocate to West Bromwich in dank cold January. Can't imagine why. Um, so that's where we got to on Thursday night when there he was on Sky appearing at the Loftus Road gates 
in the kind of drama that you know you used to get in the 1970s, didn't you? It's just so unprofessional. It was like something out of a football drama. But Hoylet didn't want to move. Albion, to their complete credit, as far as I'm concerned, dug their heels in and said the deal does not suit us. Come back and. Uh, you know, fulfill so, your contract. Sorry, so I just want to be clear on this because I, I know, like, he's like a complete figure of fun now, but it wasn't really a crime to drive down there. What did he do that was so wrong, apart from looking like a fool where they wouldn't let him into the building? Yeah, I think it's that point. I think it's a gr- it's driving to the very gates, which puts you in the public eye on transfer deadline night because everyone knows the TV cameras there and the fans will turn up. It's their moment in the spotlight. Driving to the very gates and then agreeing to talk on live national television. But why and, is that such a bad thing? I mean, I don't. I just well, I don't. I don't quite understand. Like, you know, well, because, it's not like it's a secret, right? I mean. Well, because the deal's not done, and because, and then... But are you jeopardizing the, the deal by talking? I mean, I... Well, you are, because that's the point at which Albion said, hang on a minute, we didn't even know he was going there. That's, that's the official line. They didn't know that he was actually driving to QPR's gate. He might have said his goodbyes informally, but to actually... And then, in the interview, to go and say, well, they brought some good... Uh, QPR brought some good players in. I'm sure we can stay up. I mean, at that point, Albion's lawyers, the email came out very shortly afterwards saying he has no permission to talk to them. This is not a done deal. To broaden this out, Gab, just in the state and board. Yes. The, the, um, if only we were talking about a Spurs player. Where, where exactly were TPR going to play him? What's, what's TPR's like plan for the, what, what's their plan for the transfer window? Where the, is Jermaine Jennings a better midfielder than Alejandro Fowlin? No. No. Jermaine, Jermaine Jennings has started two league games in the last two years. Jermaine Jennings was dreadful stuff. on loan at Nottingham Forest. That's why he never played. Yeah. Um, but I, why I, did I, Harry try and sign, sign David Bentley, a player he disliked so much that he sent him on loan to Rostov? Do you know what I mean? What What is the plan at QPR? It's ridiculous. Well, I actually thought Odin Vingy would have probably made more sense for QPR than a lot of the people they signed, given that when you talk about strikers, you're talking about Bobby Zamora, freaking Andy Johnson, and Loic Remy, who was terrible and now is hurt again. And, you know, that might might have made a modicum of sense. Yeah. Um, but anyway, let's move on. We, we, we're we're kind of Odin Vingy'd out. We can all <laughs> laugh at QPR and how there's no plan. Ha, ha, ha. I want to be funny when they go down and they're stuck with all these big wages and what's going to happen. Um, I think that's that's a little too easy. But what I think our listeners want is uh, is perception, is a sort of perceptive analysis. So, Rory, I know you've got a whole list of good transfers and winners. Uh, Irby Manuelson. AC Milan on loan to Fulham I think is an excellent signing I think that might be the deal of the window Keeps to keep Fulham up I don't think that he, need, he needs to keep Fulham up I don't think Fulham are going to go down but I think he'll get them back on the straight and narrow uh, Eon Eno I liked as well the guys to win on loan from Ajax and he's a good player although I, again you'll know more than me he's, he's, I think he's maybe not the easiest to deal with off the pitch but he's, he's a good footballer he's also had some uh, he's had some physical problems um, in the past um, I think Newcastle Sissoko I think Yandram B was a brilliant deal I really do um Dufran, if he gets his head right, is kind of all right, um, quite cheap. Let's assume when Ben Arthur comes back. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and I think, to be f- to, from a footballing point of view, TPR have probably had a decent window that Samba's an important signing. Um, Townsend's okay. Genesis is dreadful. Remy would be a good player if he wasn't injured. The, the question, I, I guess, there is more kind of financial. But yeah, I think there's. Um, Emmanuelson strikes me as being a really good deal. Do we know why Forlan left? Because he. He's a joy to watch. That brilliant footballer, player. great footballer, Fowler. 
great football. Why is he learning? What a window for Palermo. Let's talk about Palermo's window. Fowling, Baselli. I know, like I said, I love talking about smaller clubs, um, but I think the reality is a lot of our listeners support big clubs like Manchester City, who I think uh, had the third biggest move or third biggest sale in in the transfer window. Who's that? Um, okay, Balotelli, <laughs> I think. Um, who? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, never heard um, of him. Uh, Chelsea signed Dembaba. Uh, you know, there's a whole range. Arsenal signing Nacho Morea. Uh, I want to get you, Alison. Uh, in addition to, to West Ham and the vignette you gave us, that's clearly a club that you feel you know suddenly got a bounce in this uh, transfer window. Um, let's talk about big clubs and which ones come out of this uh, transfer window stronger? Well, there seems to be a widespread belief that Arsenal came out of it well. I don't, I, I, and that's, that's fortuitous for Wenger because he had a problem, he had an injury, uh, left problem at left back, and he solved it immediately and brought, brought forward a, a deal that was, was planned for the summer. And suddenly everyone's saying, well, that was clever, that was quick thinking... If he hadn't had a problem, Wenger wouldn't have done anything and everyone would have been saying, ooh, Arsenal, just, just don't change enough and move with the times. So I, I, I don't really go along with Arsenal having had the, the splendid transfer window, everyone says. I think Spurs continue to astonish. They, they have a, a squad brimming and brimming and brimming with talent. They didn't need to bring anyone else in and they brought in Lewis Holtby. Um, I had a chat with Stefan Freund about him. I think he's just delighted to have found this perfect mix of bit German, bit English and he thinks he'll just have a wonderful relationship and everything will be glorious. So I think Spurs came out of it rather well. Yeah, I, th- I think Holtby's a good signing. I think City, as much as Mario is kind of clinically insane, um, City are weaker because they have lost a striker and not brought one in. I think that's. So I think technically they've had a bad window, although it's probably the right decision to get rid of Balotelli. Uh, United. They sold very well. I mean, financially, it's. A, yeah, it's, finan- a, it's, a, it's a very good. It deal. is a good and deal. I think, isn't it yeah. right that they don't want to commit to spending big money on another striker because they don't not one hundred percent sure that they will have the same manager next year. Yeah, and also I think they're probably. I would guess they're kind of waiting to see who their manager is next summer, and also kind of who's available as if Falcao's around and not tied up with anyone. Then I suspect they'd go for him. Uh, Cavani, you got to imagine might leave as well in the summer. So that yeah, I, I think probably long term it's sensible not to buy anybody, but short term it it has weakened their attack. Um, although obviously Balotelli's on-pitch contributions for City this year hadn't been great. Um, Liverpool storage looks like a good bit of business, a really good bit of business. Coutinho very talented not from what I've seen of him which isn't a huge amount not entirely certain he is physically ready for the rough and tumble of a wet and windy night at Stoke this season he's a bit young and a bit unproven mm. but then potentially potentially it could potentially be a, potentially right, be a brilliant yeah. deal but I think it's, it, that, that to me is kind of the deal that the sort of deal that maybe suits more in the summer than in January when you, you can bring them in sort of guide them over the course of the first season yeah. through England what, I, don't, I don't know if he'll have an immediate impact but then he might go and score a hat-trick every day from now on so I don't know um, United signing Zaha I think it's a good bit of business for the summer uh, and I, I think Nacho Monreal is a fantastic footballer but I agree with Alison. I think that if Gibbs hadn't got injured Arsenal wouldn't have signed anyone and I don't know if he actually moves their squad forward he doesn't solve the, the vast problems elsewhere for Arsenal all right, enough transfers. Time for some quick hits. Gareth Bale scores a brilliant late goal as Tottenham edge past uh, West Brom. Um, Allison, we also saw Goran Popov sent off for spitting in Kyle Walker's general direction. Uh, it's your call. Do you want to celebrate Bale or crucify Popov? I'd like to crucify Steve Clark. I do not see why, when you're down to 10 men so early in the second half, you immediately... Uh, be- behave as he told Spurs 
you can have it now. Took off Lukaku. West Brom offer no threat immediately after that. He didn't give them anything to think about, which meant that Bale uh, was allowed to look... I mean, he can look glorious against 11 men, but it was, it was fairly straightforward for Bale to, to go into hyperdrive and, and look wonderful. Arsenal overcomes Stoke thanks to a deflected uh, Podolski free kick. But Rory, Michael Owen could get himself an FA charge for what I thought was a rather wussy-looking strike at Mikel Arteta. Uh, at the risk of sounding sexist, it looked like uh, kind of like what my little girl looks like when she fights with uh, other six-year-olds. Um, does this sound right to you? Yeah, I've heard that your little girl is, is particularly weak and is, is frowned upon by other six-year-olds for not being able to throw a punch. Yes, yeah, so that does sound right. Just yeah. like Michael Owen, yeah. Yeah. Oh, sorry, it was a question about Michael Owen. Um, yeah, the... Do you know what? I, I, I don't understand why newspapers in general are so obsessed with stories that start such and such, and such may face a disciplinary charge for doing this. find it incredibly boring. Yes, it looked to me like Owen considered throwing a punch, thought better of it, and kind of ended up shoving Arteta on the shoulder. Leave it, get on with it. It's, it's boring. Another international date, another rash of dropouts, particularly at under-21 level. Lansley, why are these guys so unpatriotic? Well, we can't be certain. Raheem Sterling, we haven't had a reason as as of um, 12 o'clock on Monday why he hasn't. Phil Jones is apparently ill. Um, I think increasing the status of the under-21s, and it is on an upward incline, I think improving the status, as Roy Hodgson wants to do, is the way to make these guys want to turn up. If he can get Phil Jones, Sterling, Zahar, Butland, for example, involved in Israel this summer, and England go and win the European Under-21 Championship, that will go a long way. Hodgson's into this, and that's the way we will get more players to turn up, because they will see that this is very important to England national setup. Reading win again and this time uh, uh, they do so against a hapless looking Sunderland and the hero is one Ian Hart. I remember him uh, a lifetime ago. He was apparently playing for Leeds in, in the Champions League back in the days when Peter Ridsdale lived the dream and Rory K. Smith was down in the coal mines. Um, three years ago though, he was at uh, Carlisle in whatever godforsaken league they play in. Before that he was at Levante. Uh, now at 35 he's kind of making a difference at Reading. I think this is a really, really nice story, Alison. It's lovely. And I, I, I am surprised. Earlier in the season, I thought he was um, McDermott's blind spot. He, he did look too slow. And uh, he didn't seem to have the invigorating energy that, that you need to show that you can stay in the division. But um, Paul Lambert, take note, sometimes having someone with all that experience, he's so calm. He's incredibly calm and considered the way he plays. And he's got no choice, I suppose. He's not going to jump around all over the place but I, I suspect he's a, a really good influence for the for the younger players at, at, at Reading and um, long may it continue go oldies Marwan Fellaini is a difference maker as Everton stormed back to grab a 3-3 draw against Villa um, Rory are cracks starting to appear in Davy Moyes' overachieving blue machine or should we just be celebrating the grit that they can come back I mean he conceded three goals at home to freaking Villa yeah, that's not a good sign. I think Johnny Heitinger had a particularly poor day. That probably won't happen again. Everton, their squad is not is not that strong. They tried to sign. They sort of had a sniff around Alvaro Negredo towards the end of the transfer window, apparently. Um, so I think that they're not. They don't have the squad that the other sides up in the top six currently have, and I think that might start to show over the course of the season. I don't think they'll get in the Champions League. Uh, it's not great to be considering three goals at home to a side as bad as Aston Villa. England play Brazil in midweek. Lansley, you're a resident England fan. Tell me some what things that need to happen for Roy Hodgson to consider this a good experience. 
One, give Jack Butland at least 45 minutes, complete, uh, continue his education and show everyone what a good goalkeeper he can be. Um, two, it should be buzz- uh, Wembley can be buzzing. Like when England women beat Brazil 1-0, if we go and go do the same and Brazil are bringing out a strong team and we do that, it will suggest we can be not a force in international fo- football, but um, a good side. And um, let's honour Stephen Gerrard and Ashley Cole for getting uh, beyond 100 caps. Let's get right behind Ashley Cole. Give him a good old uh, round of applause for getting to 100 caps because he's been an excellent footballer, if not always an excellent person. Gab, one for you. Mario Balotelli, who's, uh, who used to play football for Manchester City, made his debut for AC Milan on Sunday. I'm assuming it was a quiet, uneventful affair with the former City striker making a late substitute appearance before disappearing home to play on his Stalets trip. Uh, no, not quite, actually. There was whole, he was supposed to come off the bench, a whole drama. Uh, Giampaolo Pazzini, who was going to start at centre-forward, injured himself in the warm-up. Uh, I haven't been able to confirm whether it was Balotelli himself who injured him or set off fireworks in, or in, in his underpants or something just to get him off so he could start. Uh, within sort of 40 seconds of coming on, he'd, he'd come close to scoring. Uh, it was tremendous, so much energy. Uh, part of that front line with Mahmoud Yang and Stefan El Shirawi combined age of, of sixty. Uh, he set up Nyang for a great for, for what should have been a goal, scored a goal himself. Then at the end, added a penalty, which was uh, a completely made up penalty, but still a penalty nonetheless. Um, and he looked a natural fit. But of course, given that it's Balotelli, you need to take that with a whole truckload of salt. That's all we've got time for this week. It's been fun. Thanks to my guests, Allison Rudd, Peter Lansley, and, of course, Rory K. Smith. You can find us on Twitter to share your thoughts, or you can email us at so many of you do every single week. The email is gamepodcast at thetimes.co.uk. And, of course, at thetimes.co.uk, you'll find our news, views, web chats, blogs, analysis, cool graphics, all that good stuff. Uh, And you can always hit us up on Twitter to to let us know what we're doing right now. And what we're doing wrong as well. Rory especially likes that very much, as do I. Till next time, bye bye. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone.